Well, we are in Christ, as you know, called to love each other. And that means a lot of things. But we can say with some degree of certainty that if we are not praying for each other, then we are not loving each other. I would put that probably at, at the very top of my list when it comes to what we need to do in order to love each other. Firstly, we need to pray. If we're not praying, we're not going to be loving each other as we ought to in Christ. But praying for each other, praying for the same people consistently, uh, week after week, month after month, year after year, can, if we're honest, be quite difficult. At times we can feel ourselves saying the same things over and over again. And, and after a while, it, it, it feels a bit tired, a bit stale, a bit repetitive. So what do you do in those times to help you to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? There's probably a lot of answers that, that we could give to that question. But one thing we can certainly do is, is to turn to the Scriptures. We could turn to the book of Psalms, couldn't we? In, in the Psalms, what a, a collection of prayers we have. All of life is brought before God in the Psalms. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is held back. All of it in its, its uh, brutal and raw reality is brought before God. What a help the Psalms are to us in our prayer lives. We could turn uh, to the New Testament. We could turn to the pastoral prayers of the New Testament with their continual reminder that above all the other things that we should be praying for each other, we should be asking God to make us into mature followers of Jesus. Those who are growing in our knowledge of and in our love for the Lord. Pastoral prayers are a great help to us as we pray for one another. But one other place that we can turn to is the, the long list of biblical, biblical, <laughs> I should be able to say that word given my, uh, my job, blessings and benedictions. Biblical blessings and benedictions are a great, great source of help as we seek to pray for each other. I have a, a list of uh, all of the benedictions in the Bible uh, printed in my study. I have it in a Microsoft Word document. If you want me to email that to you, let me know and I will do. And they're a great source of encouragement and enrichment as we seek to pray for each other. And it is to one of those biblical blessings that we turn this morning. You'll have noticed already, probably if your eyesight is good enough, that we're turning to Romans chapter 15 this morning. Just one verse, our passage is just one verse, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It's page 1141 in your pew Bibles. 1141. 
Romans 15, verse 13. Apostle Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I read an article last week on the wrath of God. Never let it be said, I don't know how to have a good time. And uh, the article was actually explaining why we ought to be thankful for the wrath of God, why the wrath of God is a good thing. And the author in that article defined the wrath of God like this. He says, the wrath of God is is God's holy, righteous, absolutely, morally pure opposition to and punishment of unrighteousness. It's a bit wordy, so I'll read that again. The wrath of God is God's holy, righteous, absolutely morally pure opposition to and punishment of unrighteousness. So let's assume that definition to be correct. How can that God be described as the God of hope to people like us? To people who have given ourselves over, if we're honest, to unrighteousness, to unrighteous words, to unrighteous deeds, to unrighteous thoughts. How can this God who is so utterly unwilling to overlook wrongdoing be to us who have done wrong the God of hope? Well, the answer to that question is that He has made a way. He has made a way to honor and to display all that He is. He is the God of light. That's why He will not tolerate darkness or unrighteousness, or whatever we choose to call it, sin. He is the God of light, and light, by its very nature, snuffs out darkness. They cannot coexist in the same place. He is the God who is utterly light, utterly pure, utterly perfect, completely holy. He is the God of light, but the God of light is also the God of love. And there is a place where God's holy hatred of sin and His perfect love of people come together. His righteous wrath and His unending love and mercy and grace come together in one place, and that place, as you know, is the cross. The place is the cross, and the person is the Christ. The person is Jesus. We worship 
at your feet where wrath and mercy meet, and a guilty world is washed by love's pure stream. For us he was made sin, no help me take it in. Deep wounds of love cry out, Father, forgive. I worship, I worship the Lamb who was slain. In Jesus Christ, there is hope. In Jesus Christ, God's judgment has been satisfied. And in Christ, the love of God is displayed and offered to the world. No matter who we are, where we're from, what we have done, what we have given ourselves to, what we have spent ourselves on, the love of God is offered to us in Christ. And all who receive Him, all who trust Him, are washed clean and welcomed in to the family of God forever. We have been made new in Christ. To use the language of John, we have been born again or born from above into a new life lived with God and for God. We are adopted into the family of God. This God of Scripture becomes our God. And this God, our God, is the God of hope. Therefore, we as His people, we as His children, ought to be people of hope. That ought to be a defining characteristic of us as Christians. People of hope. No matter what happens to us, that hope can never be snuffed out like one of those wee candles that you get where you, you put it out and it lights up again. Less annoying than those candles, but we ought to be like that. We ought to burn with the very hope of God, no matter what the circumstances of our life. Nothing can snuff it out. People see that. People recognize that. And I know that there are some of us who have been through circumstances in life which have been extremely hard and painful. And people have looked at us and wondered, how is it that we still seem to have this hope burning brightly within? They've maybe not been able to articulate it quite with those words, but they've seen something different in us. And that's caused them to question, what is it that they have that I don't have? And who knows how the Lord might use those questions in the lives of those people. We are a people of hope, people waiting for something to be fulfilled, waiting for something good to happen. For us in Christ as children of God, we can always take comfort in the fact that for us, the best is yet to be. No matter what age we are, you know, our bodies may be beginning to struggle, certain things beginning to shut down or slow down. But for us in Christ, we know the best is always yet to be. We are people who look back with gratitude. It's right for us to do that. You know, at the turn of the year or that special anniversary that, that we just celebrated together, it's good to look back and to see the faithfulness of God to us through the years. 
but we are a people who ought to always be looking forward as well. That should be our default setting, to look forward with hope, with expectation, with anticipation, knowing that something better, something greater is lying just ahead, just over the next hill. Then, says John in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. For us in Christ, the best is yet to be, and it's not far away. It's not far away. One of the things we do when we gather together is to remind each other in Christ that God has become to us the God of hope, and we are the people of hope. Not a weak hope, like the hope of the world. Not, I hope Airdrie will win the league this year, or Dumbarton. Not, I hope the weather will improve by the time the service comes to an end. Not a weak hope, but a strong hope, a sure hope, a certain hope, a living hope. We remind each other as we gather together of the hope that is ours in Christ. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And hope, when it comes into our hearts and our lives, hope brings its friends with it. There is a perception, I suppose, in the minds of many that the Christian life is a miserable life a life full of rules and restrictions, a life limited. Well, not so, because hope brings its friends along with it. If we have the living hope of the living Lord in our hearts and in our lives, then we will also have the joy of Jesus and the peace of Jesus too. wonder how you're doing in terms of joy, and of peace. Is it there? Is it strong? Is it growing? As you grow in your walk with the Lord. I got a ticket for uh, Katie on her birthday, the 27th of October last year, to a big game of football. And uh, the, the game wasn't until a month later so Katie's birthday is the end of October. The game isn't until the end of November. Uh, 
until that time, the ticket that I gave her on her birthday, it's just a piece of paper, nothing more. So as she gets, as she opens the card and gets this piece of paper, how do you think she feels? Do you think she looks at me with disgust and says, it's just a piece of paper? No, she's, she's filled with joy and uh, gratitude and uh, excitement and expectation and anticipation at what this ticket will do for her in a month's time. Of course, that joy was nothing compared to the joy that she experienced a month later as it was fulfilled, as, as, as she handed the ticket over and went through the wee turnstile and saw the pitch for the first time and heard you know, the crowd and all the rest of it. That joy was much greater. But the expectation of that joy, the anticipation of that joy, brought joy to her as soon as she received the gift. Are you with me? No, nothing. <laughs> I'm ju I just hope you're with me. So the same is true for us as Christians. We look forward to the fulfillment. And in that day, there will be a joy beyond anything that we have ever experienced in this life, a joy beyond that which we are able to grasp today. But as we look forward to that day with anticipation and expectation, we have joy today and excitement, great joy. And Katie, she held on to the ticket, knew that it was promised, that it was certain that she was going to get into that game, that nothing would stop her. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts as Christians, in our lives as Christians, as a guarantee of our glorious future, which is just ahead, just over the brow of the next hill. And so we ought to be a people of hope and a people of joy. Nothing can take away our joy. Nothing can take away our hope. We're not there yet, but we know it's coming. We know it's guaranteed. Nothing can take away our future with the Lord, not suffering, not sickness, not injustice, not uncertainty, not death, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And because of that, nothing can rob us of our joy in Jesus. Joy and peace. There is peace in knowing that our future is safe and secure, come what may. Think about the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew sorrow. Five times, he says, I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. 
I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Yet this is the man who was able to say to the same church in the same letter, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, that's what Paul calls all those things, I won't read them all again, you know, the shipwrecks, the being beaten with rods and with whips, the, the, um, the danger in the city, the danger in the country, the betrayal, all these different things are to Paul light and momentary troubles. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See the difference that hope made in the life of the Apostle Paul, even in those very trying and troubling tribulations that he experienced. He recognized that something better, something greater lay ahead for him. And so he had nothing to fear in life and in death. It's a Christian who, like Paul and Silas, can sing in the dark, dingy prisons of life because we are fundamentally a people of hope and therefore a people of joy and a people of peace. Peace in all of life, and peace and death, because we know that in Christ our future is safe and secure and better and fuller than we could ever really hope to grasp in the here and now. How do we get this joy and this peace? Through faith. We come to peace with God through simple faith in Christ, and we continue to experience the peace of God as we continue to trust and obey and follow. The times we trust ourselves, we actually rob ourselves of something of the highest joy and the deepest peace which God has made available to us in Christ. And so we have to keep reminding ourselves, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. We keep reminding ourselves to seek, to serve, and to follow Christ, that we might know the peace and the joy of Jesus. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. You might think that's where this blessing would end, and that's where this sermon would end, but just a wee bit more. There's a purpose to our being blessed that goes beyond ourselves. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that, that's purpose, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow speaks of abundance that is available to us. It's not carefully rationed and parceled up and distributed. It's abundant. It's overflowing. It's a spring which never stops. But not only does it speak of abundance for us, surely overflow points to the desire for others to come and to drink of this life-giving water too. Paul in Romans speaks a lot about the Jews and the Gentiles. Who are the blessings of God available to? Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too, in Christ. And here in Romans chapter 15, we don't have time really to look at the context in any depth, but he is speaking of the weak and the strong. We would probably uh, be more inclined to articulate it in terms of the mature and the immature. Who are the blessings of God for? Is it just the mature? Is it just the strong? No, it's the immature too. It's the weak too. And there is this constant appeal to the people of God to remember each other, to remember other people, to not put yourselves first, but to be concerned whether it's about the Gentiles or the, the weak or those who are outside of Christ, that they might come inside that they might come to faith in Christ, that they might come to receive the blessings of God. It's not as if there's a limited supply. It's not as if we have to keep it all to ourselves because if we don't, there'll be too many people and not enough blessing to go around. It's not as if God's love and His grace and His mercy are going to run dry. To see others come to receive what we have just adds to our joy in the Lord. Jesus' concern for the other ought to always be at the forefront of our minds as followers of Jesus. I said we don't have much time to look at the context, but just look at the first few verses of Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. That's the one we are following, the one who did not please himself, the one who came to share the privileges that were rightfully his with others. He who was rich became poor that we might become rich. He who was the Son of God became the Son of Man that we may become children of God. He who was without sin was made sin that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So trust in Him. And as you enjoy the hope and the peace and the joy of Jesus, remember the call, the commission to see others come to know Him too. And pray that the hope that is bubbling away in your heart and in your life would spill out into the lives of others that the peace and joy of Jesus would overflow into the lives of those who are living 
in such desperate needs. That it would overflow as you live for Him and speak for Him and rejoice in Him in all of life. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's uh, stand to sing our closing hymn, Come and See.